Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. Hebrews chapter number 11 is where we're going to be. We've been here for several uh, weeks already, and I will say that uh, as we get to these particular verses here in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, I'm, I'm rather excited about it because uh, in this particular verse, we find uh, six different men mentioned. And up to this point, uh, as we've gone through this series, we've found uh, a few different things about faith itself. Of course, we first found that uh, God is pleased when uh, faith is exercised in Him. The second thing we've learned about faith is that faith fluctuates. Uh, you can have a, a lot of faith or you can have a little faith. You can have no faith. Uh, but it fluctuates even in the Christian life. And it's something that, is, uh, that has multiple different amounts of it. Um, and, and then we've also learned how faith is exercised and that it varies from person to person. And, but it must be exercised. And so this morning, as we come to our text here in Hebrews 11, we're going to be in verse number 32, and uh, we'll see a few different things about, uh, about faith and about these men that have uh, been placed within this one verse uh, collectively uh, talking about this. So we have, uh, we've gone through many others from Abel to Enoch to Abraham and Sarah uh, and uh, Isaac and Joseph and Moses. And last week we looked at the children of Israel uh, in their faith as they uh, fought down and walked around the, uh, the walls of Jericho and they fell flat. And we looked at the faith of, uh, of Rahab the harlot uh, but again, to me, these next few are probably uh, the most encouraging in my life. Because as I look at these, and, and I want to read verse 32 here in just a few seconds, uh, but as I look at these, I, I sit here and I think, how did they get in here? How did they get in here? Let me show you. Verse 32. The scripture says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. So by the time the writer of Hebrews gets to the end of verse 32, uh, they're going to stop naming names and just put a collective group together of the prophets. And we're going to look at that in a few weeks. We'll look at Samuel in a couple of weeks. We'll look at David next week. But, but look here in this verse, and we see these first four that are mentioned. Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah. As I, as I read those, again, I, I start to get, uh, if I'm going to be open with you this morning, I, I start to get a little confused. Okay? Because Abel, I get. I get his faith. I understand it. When we get to Enoch and we see Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him, I get it. When I look at Abraham's life and I see the exercised faith of Abraham's life, I, I stand amazed at Abraham's faith. 
at Sarah's faith, even in a little midst of doubt. Uh, her, her faith was amazing. And we come to uh, their children of, of Jacob and Isaac and even Joseph, their grandchildren, and, and we see there's those faith, and we look at those, and we say, oh, those are the patriarchs, man. They're the ones that kind of brought this whole faith thing in, and it makes sense. And then we come to Moses, and, and the amount of faith that Moses had was just, uh, I mean, it was almost unmeasurable the number of times that Moses had to exercise faith, and he walked in faith. We see the children of Israel with Joshua and the battles that they won. And we see the, the harlot Rahab and the faith that she had. But I'm just going to tell you, when I get to Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, I go like this a little bit. And I think, really? Because even when we go past them and I see David and the faith that David had and the faith that Samuel had, I get those. And, and you'll see that here in the next few weeks as we go through those and even the faith of the prophets. But with these four, it, again, it makes me scratch my head, but it also brings me the most encouragement. And I'm going to tell you why. The reason it brings me the most encouragement is because when I look at the faith of Abraham, I say, wow. I'm not sure I could exercise that same amount of faith that Abraham did. When I look at Moses, I, there's no comparison. But when I come to Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, my mind immediately goes to, that I could do. You, you want me to show some doubt in the Lord? I'm, I can do that. And yet have faith at the same time? I can do that. And so this morning, I, I, I look at this, and I see these four men in here, and, and while I scratch my head, I also began to understand why these four men are in this great hall. This great hall. And God doesn't, uh, he, he could have said, let's, let's be real here for a moment, he could have said as he did with the prophets and say the faith of the judges. Because that's what these four were. But he didn't say that. And there were plenty of other judges that God probably could have mentioned. But he stopped and he mentioned Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. And I'm certainly not questioning the Lord's decision here as to why they get mentioned. Because hopefully by the time we finish with this sermon this morning, you will see the fact that God is willing to work with an imperfect faith. One of the most amazing things about faith that you and I can ever imagine or ever have is to know that God works with it even when it isn't perfect. And the fact of the matter is this, faith is rarely perfect. So let's look at this this morning we're going to jump over to the book of Judges and look at a few things, but let's pray, and we're going to jump right into this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. God, you have uh, given us wonderful examples here of faith. From, from every avenue of life throughout the Old Testament, we, uh, as we begin with Abel and we see the great faith that he exercised. 
And we see these others that have been mentioned and that of Abraham and uh, even Joseph and, and Moses, Father. And we, we look at them and we say, there's no way we could ever have the faith that they had. And then, Father, you give us four men here in verse number 32 that if we were to stop and think, and as we look at their lives here in just a moment, that we would have a great understanding of why they're here. And Father, why you allow even us to approach your throne with faith believing, even in times when our faith is not perfect. God, I ask this morning that you would move within our midst. Help us, give us a greater understanding within this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want you to go back to the book of Judges as we consider, uh, first of all, the setting. I want you to notice the setting here uh, within this particular uh, verse in Hebrews chapter 11. But as we go back uh, to the book of Judges, of course, the setting uh, in the time and history of Israel's uh, faith here is within the time of the Judges. This is in between uh, the time that they conquered the land and entered into the promised land and the time where uh, the last judge would come, that of Samuel, and Israel would beg of God a king. And what you will find throughout the entire book of Judges is different cultural shifts and different times and seasons of spiritual goodness and also spiritual wickedness. The judges in between those times, you'll see the phrase uh, over and over again as we come to uh, this great book, and, and you will see as we do in, ver in chapter 6 where we'll begin, uh, you will see that the scripture says in verse number 1, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. Seven years, but the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so what would happen throughout this cycle of Israel is God would raise up a judge to judge and bring Israel back to spiritual health. And that judge would rule and cast judgment and bring uh, judgment upon Israel and help them through those times. And then something would happen. The judge would die. And the Bible doesn't really tell us how soon after each judge died, but often in each case, that particular judge would die and Israel would fall back again into living their lives in an evil way. In every case. And then in this case here, we see by the time we get to chapter 6, it's happened multiple times before this, but the children of Israel again do evil on the side of the Lord. Now what's going to happen here? God allowed them to be delivered into the hand of Midian for seven years, and they rained havoc and wreaked havoc on Israel. And each time you see Israel doing something evil and God letting it happen and God letting it go, and then God raises up another judge. Their job is to bring Israel back to spiritual health, and that cycle again continues. Now, that's the setting. Let's talk about, secondly, the stories. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, we find four judges that are mentioned. 
Now, I'm not exactly sure as to why they didn't necessarily put them in chronological order. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to uh, worry too much about that. So we're going to kind of go in the order that Hebrews gives them, uh, in that of Gideon, and then Barak, and then Samson, and then Jephthah. Now, if you are concerned about the chronological time frame of this, it would have gone Barak, then Gideon, then Jephthah, then Samson. Uh, that would be the chronological time frame from the book of Judges. But again, we're going to follow Hebrews because we're in our series in the book of Hebrews. So I want you to see the story first of Gideon. And we find that in uh, verse number 11 of chapter 6, where the Bible says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, and pertained unto Joash the Abzerite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress, to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with me or be with us, why then is all befallen us? And where be all his miracles where our fathers told us of? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites. And he said unto them, or unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come thee, or unto thee, and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. Now, we'll stop reading there just for sake of time this morning. But, when you read these first few verses here in the account of Gideon, how many of you see the man of faith that is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11? Anyone? Just in these first few verses? Now, I will assure you and tell you that, yes, Gideon certainly does become a man of faith. Otherwise, he never would have made it in Hebrews chapter 11. But in this beginning part, there's a lot of doubt here. There's a lot of questions here. There's a lot of some of the same things that go through your heart and through your mind when it comes to faith, doesn't it? He's questioning pretty much everything. Now the angel comes and he says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now again, I would even question even in that statement uh, whether or not Gideon at this particular time was a mighty man of valor, but I'm glad to say that God does not always see what you and I see. Amen. What God saw was a mighty man of valor. or What I look and see in Gideon at this particular time is a man of doubt, is a man of questions. And he says, if, if God be with us, why is this happening? If God is with us, why is this happening? 
Is God not the one that delivered our forefathers from Egypt and crossed through the Red Sea? Is that not him? He said, I have a hard time believing that God's with us. And God said, oh, I'm with you. Go in this thy might. Thou shalt save Israel. He said, I'm going to use you to save Israel. Gideon says, I'm not sure about this. He says, as a matter of fact, I need to to go get something. And if you would, if you'll just wait right here, I'll be back. You'll wait here. We need to talk a little bit more. If you'll drop down to verse number 36, I want you to see what is taking place here. Again, probably a familiar story to you. And so uh, as, as God continues to deal with Gideon and talks to him and shows him a few more things, uh, the Scripture says in verse number 36, And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth, beside then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. Look at verse number 38. It says, And it was so. For he arose up early in the morning and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. So here we have Gideon. He says, if you're going to do what you say you're going to do, I need you to do something for me. He said, I've got a a piece of wool here that I'm going to set down, and I know there's dew that comes every morning upon the grass. I, I want you to put all the dew in this fleece of wool and let the ground around it be dry. And if you can do that, then I will do what you want me to do. And the Bible says it was so. Gideon got up early the next morning. He came to that piece of wool. He picked it up. It was wet. He took it over to a bowl, and he wrung it out so much so that it filled an entire bowl full of water. Now Gideon is a man of faith, right? No, not yet. And you can tell that Gideon kind of understands what's happening here, and He says in verse number 39, And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. So, Kind of funny here how Gideon's asking, right? First he goes in and he says this. He says, hey, if you can do this, I will do what you want. And the Bible says, and it was so. Gideon kind of doubles back a little bit and he's like, okay, I didn't really expect that even though I asked for it. But uh, all right, now now look, don't, don't be mad. Don't be angry here, but Let's do the reverse. Let's let the wool be dry and the dew be on the ground all around. So he goes to bed. He wakes up, and I want you to notice what it says in verse number 40. I think it's one of some of the most important words in Scripture. God did so. If you're in the habit of marking in your Bibles, that's a wonderful phrase to mark. 
And God did so that night. For it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. And God did so. You know, I, I know I, I, over the years I've, I've heard many messages on Gideon and his life and, and all of this. And I've heard Gideon been given a hard time for his fleece. But I think one of the most important things to point out here, that in Gideon's fleece, him setting it out saying, let it be wet, let it be dry, the most important part of all of this is verse number 40 where the Scripture says, and God did so. Amen. Amen. We ought not correct Gideon where God does not. Because God did so. And that's the story of Gideon. And you know the rest of the story for time would prevent this morning. As we see Gideon, of course, after this, he's all in. He's moving. He's going forward. He goes and he takes a, an army of 10,000 and takes them down to 300. Defeats the armies of Midian by faith. Gideon, that mighty man of valor, finds himself in the hall, the great hall of faith. If you go back to chapter 4, we'll find the story of, of Barak. In verse number 4, the Scripture introduces Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. She judged Israel at that time. And the Bible says in verse 5, and she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel. In Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came unto her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinadom, out of Kadesh, Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go, and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and the children of Zebulun? And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, and the captain of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. So God's using Deborah here to call Barak, and she says, all right, are you not the one that God has called? She says, somebody go find Barak for me. I've got to talk to him. Barak comes and immediately, Deborah begins to say, aren't you the one that God has called? Now, obviously, God had been speaking to Barak for a while. We don't know exactly how long, but long enough for him to continually say no. And for God to use Deborah to get Barak's attention. So Barak comes and she says what she says. And he says unto her in verse number 8, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. Uh-oh. So here's Barak again. He's repeatedly told the Lord, I'm not going. I, I'm not going. Finally, he's standing before Deborah and she says, God has called you to do this. And he says, okay, 
He's like, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll go on one condition. You must go with me. How many of you know? I mean, you've probably experienced this in your life before, but traveling by faith in the journey of the Christian life is often a nervous thing, isn't it? I mean, it can be nervous. You say, God, do you want me to do this? Really? And sometimes we try to negotiate with God by saying, hey, well, if, if you'll send this person, then I'll know. Or if you'll let them go with me, then I'll go. Or we'll even say that to one another. Well, I'll do this if you will. Why? Because taking a step of faith is sometimes extremely nervous. And that was the case in Barak. But he said, I'll surely go with thee, notwithstanding, the, or she said, sorry, in verse 9, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou shalt takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. If you had to take the time, you can continue reading all the way through chapter number 5 and see the, uh, the victory and the praise that is given to God for the victory that is given. But Barak said, I'll only do it if you go with me. That's my condition. Then we turn over to chapter 16. We see Samson. Samson's probably, in, in my estimation, one of the biggest enigmas in the book of Judges. Samson was dedicated to the Lord from his birth, made a Nazarite. And in that, if, 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 if any of the judges could have done anything wrong... It certainly was Samson. I mean, he tops the list. At, at best, Samson was rebel, rebellious. And he finds himself, as you know, one of the most popular biblical stories would be the life of Samson. But you know the story. As he was raised there, he did some amazing things. As the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, Samson was a warrior. Now, I know that we often uh, think of Samson because of his great strength. And we often think of Samson, and he's even often depicted as this uh, muscle-bound, uh, you know, gem uh, jock guy that, uh, you know, you would look at and say, okay, yeah, uh, that's exactly it. But I, I want to submit to you this morning that I'm, I'm of the opinion that Samson didn't look like that at all. He probably didn't look like that at all. Uh, because again, uh, think with me here through my, through my thought process in the looks of Samson. If Samson looked like a, a bodybuilder, like we often picture, would, would his strength have been questioned? I would dare say probably not. Again, when I, when I look at a bodybuilder and he's uh, ripped with all these muscles and goes up and does his deadlift and picks that weight up and puts it over his head and drops it down, I say, oh, that's how he did it. But now if you see John Faylor go and pick up four or 500 pounds and put that over his head and then drop it behind him, we're going to say, how do you do that? John's going to say, how did I do that? So when you think of Samson, I'm just convinced that he didn't have these muscles coming out of his neck and his body. People were looking at him and saying, where did he get this strength? 
Where did he get this? Just an average man, but of great strength, because God used him. But we know through the story of Samson that as he went through, he would, uh, they tried to find out where do you get your strength from and eventually told them all of these different lies. And as they would come in, the, uh, Delilah would say, Samson, the Philistines be upon you. And he would get up and he would kill all these Philistines. And then he told her, he said, the strength is, is my hair. It's my hair. And so while he was sleeping, she cut his hair and shaved his head, and she said, Samson, the, the Philistines be upon thee. And he woke up, and I am going to tell you one of the saddest, most depressing verses in Scripture we find in Judges chapter 16 and verse number 20. Because she, in verse 20, said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And here's the sad part. If, again, if you mark in your Bibles, this is the part to mark. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Hold on a second. When I'm looking at faith, I don't see it in Samson. So much so, Samson wakes up and he says, I'm going to go out just like every other time. I'm going to shake myself. But he had no clue that God was not with him. You see, the strength of Samson was not in his hair, it was in his God. The strength of Samson was not in anything outside of God Almighty being with Samson because when God was not with him, Samson was overtaken. He was caught captive. He didn't have a clue that God wasn't with him. So the Philistines caught him. They began to mock him. Began to mock his God. They began to praise Dagon, their God, and saying that Dagon delivered Samson into their hands. They plucked his eyes out where he could no longer see. And in verse number 25, it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson. That he may make a sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house. And he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars, whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women. And all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. Verse 28, look at this. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me 
I pray thee, and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may at once avenged of the Philistines. I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his strength or bowed himself with all his strength and might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Then his brethren and the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him in Zorah of Eshtal, in the burying place of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel twenty years. In his death, Samson exercised a great deal of faith. He finally came to the place where he realized, I cannot have any amount of strength without God. Lastly, we go in this story to Judges chapter 11 and we see Jephthah. Jephthah, another young man here in verse number 1 through 3, we see how Jephthah came from a broken home. He was a Gileadite, uh, Bible says, a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a harlot. Gilead begat Jephthah. Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. This broken home, you can, you can picture it here. They, they despised Jephthah and where he came from. And they said, out, nope, you're not inheriting what we're going to inherit. You're not going to take something from us. We know what your mother was. We know where you came from. Get out. So Jephthah left. And as the case for many, as they got rid of Jephthah, there came a time when there was a need. The Ammonites had come in and they were wreaking havoc with through and throughout Gilead. And the brothers, they said, hey, we kind of need some help here. Somebody go find Jephthah. So they do. They went, they found Jephthah, they asked him, they said, will you help us? We've got to have your help, we've got to have your strength, we've got to have your smarts. Then Jephthah said, well, wait a second, I don't think so. I don't think so, you cast me out. And so they convinced him as he said, well, if, if we do this and, and I'm deliver, are you going to let me be the leader? that I'm supposed to be? And they said, before the Lord, as He is our witness, yes. So Jephthah goes. And he begins to engage in battle with Ammon and goes through. And 
as the battle continues and they go to different locations, we come to verse number 29. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over until the children of Ammon. And verse number 30, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands, then shall it be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So the Bible says in verse 32, So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aor, even unto Mineth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards, with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. She was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. She said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me that which thou which hath proceedeth proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months, that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity and my fellows, I and my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. It came to pass at the end of two months she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. Jephthah wanted to know, you're going to make me head? You're going to let me lead this thing? He trusts the Lord. He gets victory. And then he vows this vow. He makes this deal so to speak, and he says, the first thing that comes through the door, I will offer to thee a burnt sacrifice. And you can imagine the delight of Jephthah winning the war, coming home. He's relieved. Gilead's at peace. And his daughter, his only daughter, also excited to see her father because you know, just as well as I do, the likelihood of somebody going to war, there is a very good chance that they might not come back. 
So when she saw her father off in the distance, she prepared herself and she ran out of the door and with timbrels and with dances to greet her father. And Jephthah remembers the vow in which he vowed. And he told her, make my heart low. I've opened my mouth unto the Lord. Cannot go back. Open my mouth. And here, again, within context of what we're talking about, Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith, where Abraham is, where Moses is, where Joseph is, where, where uh, Enoch is, we find these four. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. Again, the first ones we looked at, they, they made perfect sense. But these? Every one of these men, and I know everyone that is in the Hall of Faith, all of them were flawed, but uh, if we're going to compare flaws, and I know we compare flaws, when I look at Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, I can't help but think, why? Why? But then there's the significance here. So we see the setting, it's the time of judges. We see the stories, you have all of those. But let me give you very quickly the significance here. The significance. Gideon had a faith that had to be tested before he would act. That's his story. It was a faith that had to be tested. He said, here's the fleece, make it wet. Okay, don't be angry, but I appreciate you making it wet, but, but I also need you to make it dry and everything else wet. His faith had to be tested before he would move. Barak's faith had to be reassured before he would go. He said, okay, I understand. God has called me, uh, but the only way I'm going is if you go with me. And he had to have this reassurance. Now, Samson. Samson had to have everything taken from him before he exercised faith. Had to have everything taken from him, including his eyesight. And then Samson displayed faith. Jephthah had a faith that he thought had to be earned, that there had to be some exchange. That, okay, God, I understand you want to do this, but, but I feel like I need to do this for you, so, so let's trade if we might. That was their faith. Now again, if you're going to examine your own faith this morning, I would dare say you're, you might happen to be in one of these same categories. A faith that has to be tested. A faith that has to be reassured by someone else. It may take you losing absolutely everything before you'll have faith in God. I hope not. You might think you have to do something in order for God to move in your life and earn God's favor. You might be there. But here's the significance here. 
when I look at all of this and I see this imperfect faith, again, this is not a perfect faith. There's, I, 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 while I don't believe that exists, there are three statements that these stories represent in the significance here. One, I'm convinced that God is willing to work with those who have an imperfect faith. Because with the exception of Christ, there's no such thing as a perfect faith. So God's willing to work with an imperfect faith. Let me give you these three things, and I'm closing. I want to say, first off, that an imperfect faith is better than no faith at all. If you are looking at your life and you're saying, I have this faith, but at the same time, look, an imperfect faith is better than no faith at all. I think a second thing that it teaches us is that an imperfect faith is better than a faith that quits. You say, all right, I'll start off with faith. And then it doesn't go the way we expected it to or the way that we wanted it to and And so we just say, okay, I'm done. The third thing we must remember is that an imperfect faith is still enough faith to please the Lord. Amen. How much faith does it take? We often quote the Lord Jesus in saying that Oh, how much faith do you need to move a mountain? A mountain about the size of a grain of a mustard seed. If I told you this morning that I had a mustard seed in my hand, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't be able to see it. As close as Trevor is, you wouldn't be able to see it. It's that small. You would say, Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I can say, Marty, you see that mustard seed in my hand? You can say, no. And yet, that mustard seed that you can hold in your hand is enough faith to move a mountain. You say, is God willing to work with an imperfect faith? I would say to you, it's the only kind he works with. Sometimes we look and we say, How did Gideon get in there? Because he had faith. How did did Barak get in there? Because he had faith. How did Samson get into the great hall of faith by name? Because he had faith. How did Jephthah get into the great hall? He had faith. Was it perfect faith? Nope. Just like yours. Just like mine. I'm telling you, these four right here, if these four don't encourage your faith this morning, I'm not sure what will. You see, when we come to God, we must come by faith. Believing that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. 
Can I just tell you, when you, if you ever came to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you came by faith. And that faith was not perfect. But God saved you. And now you, you may be here this morning and you say, I've never been saved. I've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, I'm not good enough. Listen, let me tell you, you'll never be good enough. You say, I don't know if I have enough faith. You'll never have enough faith. But yet Jesus died to save you. Knowing that your faith at times would be imperfect. But yet he says, by grace through faith. By grace through faith, he saves us. You can trust the Lord and his word to save you. If you need to be saved this morning, we invite you to do so. Because Jesus died to save you, rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that you might be saved by faith. If you're struggling in your faith this morning, I say to you, me too. Me too. You say, well, I don't know if I want a pastor that struggles in his faith. You better not have one then because we all do. We all do. We struggle because our faith is imperfect. And yet that's the kind of faith that God uses. Let Him use your imperfect faith in your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.